All right. The show um, I'm going to ask you questions about today is called uh, My Love from Another Star. And mm -hmm. it is a 2014 Korean drama. This is a very famous drama. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. And it stars uh, Jiana Chun or Chun Ji Hyun. And she was in the film version of the the zombie TV show, like Kingdom. There were two seasons. And then the mm -hmm. final, the third one, instead of doing a season finale, they did a film similar to mm -hmm. um, Transparent, right? Mm -hmm. like one hour musical. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she's in it. She's in it. Okay. And uh, she's beloved in all of Asia. So okay. uh, let's say that you're a really famous film star named mm -hmm. Chun Song Yi. And you're super famous, like everybody loves you, everybody recognizes you. You get on the elevator and a young man also gets on at the same time. And you assume that he followed you onto the elevator mm -hmm. to get your autograph. So you mm -hmm. tell him to buzz off and turns out he's just your next door neighbor in the same building as you. And mm -hmm. he says he has no idea who you are. And then, you know, you're like, I mean, don't you recognize me? And he's like, Am I supposed to know who you are? What do you do? Um, well, it's also kind of rude that this person doesn't recognize their neighbors. Like, both of them don't recognize their neighbors. What's going on there? But I guess oh, it's like... Moved she moved in, like, that day. Oh, okay. Um, what do I do? I'm the actress. I'm the star. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um... What do I do? I, uh, um, how hot is my neighbor slash potential stalker? He's really hot. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'll need some butter or salt randomly and be like, hey, neighbor, I just moved in. Do you have a yeah. bottle opener? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Drop, drop a titty or something? I don't know. I, I assume that's how women flirt. That's how we all do out. it. Yeah. yeah. That's how all of us make children. <laughs> yeah. Without that move, there would be no human beings Just on Earth. no procreation. Yeah. None. Yeah. None. Got to go to the neighbor, borrow some sugar, and drop a titty. Yes. <laughs> Maybe two okay, if he's really Maybe hot. Maybe both. Maybe yeah. both. If you're lucky, you got three. All right. You got you to gotta <laughs> leg up if you have three titties to drop. Okay? Wow. Well, I'll have both legs up if you have three titties. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Question number two. Let's say you're uh, you're this man named Do Minjun. Okay. You're that neighbor guy, actually. Mm -hmm. in, in, in reality, though, you're not a man at all. You're actually an alien <laughs> that arrived from a, 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 a you know those flying saucer things you arrived in korea in the year 1601 mm -hmm. okay you have mm -hmm. very sensitive hearing okay move come on stop you have very sensitive hearing and you also have like special powers like kinetic powers you could stop time you can move things around in the air all right one evening, you're trying very hard to sleep at night, but you can't because you hear your next door neighbor movie star lady singing like mm. crazy, like off the top yeah. of her lungs. So yeah. you go over and you knock on the door and you ask her politely to please keep it down. And she gets so offended that she goes back inside and starts to cry hysterically. Now the sound of her crying 
is even louder. Mm. What do you do? Is this a drama or a, it sounds like a screwball comedy? Um, yeah, it's but... more of a drama. Yeah. What do I do? Uh, um, first of all, why is no offense to Korea, but why is he in Korea for four hundred years if he can do whatever the fuck he wants? Like, go see some other places. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, he can. What's his powers? Kinetic powers, hearing. He can can move he move stuff. things with his mind? Yeah. He can stop I don't know. Time. Yeah. Um. Well, stop time. Take a nap. Mm. Wait. Sleep it out. Sleep it off. Wake up. Mm -hmm. Unstop time. She can keep crying while you go to work or or whatever it is oh, you do. Yeah. That's yeah. smart. That's super smart. Yeah. Why didn't they think of this? Solution? Use your powers. Yeah. Exactly. He's sitting around with his powers not being put to use. Not using them. Just yeah. Or I don't know. You if you can move things with your mind, move some egg cartons onto the wall to soundproof her apartment or your apartment you could do so much things wow. i don't i've i don't know i've seen a music studio once that I've had seen those it, i've seen it but i don't think it i don't think it soundproofs i think it just uh, um, it's like a echo thing echo thing it's an acoustics thing yeah, yeah, oh yeah. okay don't do that also you need a lot of egg cartons okay but no i i I agree with you. He should have used his powers in this instance. Yeah, super yeah. easy. Okay, very good. Yeah. Let's say now you're an actress named Himmy. All right, you're a different actress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're also a star, but you're not at the level of mm. your friend Songi, and she's your childhood yeah. friend. She's way more famous than you are. Okay, she gets all the lead roles, and you're always supporting cast. Okay, mm -hmm. you're really living under her shadow. All right. Mm -hmm. One day, you, your friend Songi. And another guy friend from also your childhood, his name is Hee-kyung. You used to have a you have a huge crush on this guy, okay? But at the mm -hmm. dinner table in front of you, he proposes to Songi. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, Songi rejects yeah. him. <laughs> okay. What do you do? And these are my friends but i have no idea that they were like about that one of them was about to propose to the other one it yeah just, no out of the blue they were mm. not dating yeah they were never dating he's just like literally just proposing okay well that's ballsy um but yeah now re you can you i can be the rebound you know he just got oh. rejected that's perfect yeah. yeah now he's gonna wanna you know he's gonna want a little love and love and affection from me yeah. to get mm -hmm. over his uh rejection it's perfect actually mm -hmm. yeah it's like i i set it up myself that's how oh wow how yeah. good it is for me actually i'm totally okay. profiting off that yeah you don't you don't mind be like taking the leftovers i mean is she is she like hot for him or is she in love with him she's like in love with him hmm. he well he still hasn't yeah. but still you know you get a, a nice shag out of it maybe <laughs> um and it's better than nothing yeah okay yeah That's true. and then you think about it every time you masturbate for the oh rest of your life <laughs> okay you just bone him once and then from that you just record it in your memory and from that point yeah. on you just use it as a yeah. mental st stimulation to 
If okay. he falls in love with me, you know, good. If he doesn't, I'll always have that one night. Do you think that's how it works, though? You have sex with a guy who's not interested in you, and he ends up falling in love with you? Um, I mean, me specifically, no. I'm not good enough at sex <laughs> for that to happen. But who knows? It could happen to other people. I Yeah, I have fallen in love with someone after the first sex, but it actually had nothing to do with the sex. It had nothing to do with the sex. It just happened. There just happened to be sex involved. So, yeah. You just became more physically connected and it became this deeper thing for you, more meaningful? I guess, yeah. Let's say uh, you're Songi, the the actress lady, okay? The, mm-hmm. the stuck-up diva one, okay? Mm-hmm. At this point, you and your neighbor, uh, alien person, Minjun, you guys like each other, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's a rival actress, different chick, not Sammy, mm-hmm. the childhood friend, different lady. Her mm-hmm. name's Yuda. She used to pick on you all the time. You guys used to get into huge fights, okay? Like, she was also a diva, but she just didn't have the chops, like, super envious, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Terrible, terrible relationship. She was recently found dead, <laughs> and people are unfairly accusing Minjun as the killer. Mm-hmm. What do you do? first of all is everybody in korea an actress there's a lot of actresses in this plot (laughs) it's like the one profession in all of korea it sounds like um is that you're an alien alien. or you're an actress yeah 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 um (laughs) um so i'm being accused of murder no your the, boyfriend your alien oh my boyfriend, boyfriend is the alien boyfriend is being accused of murder yeah yeah um well i mean he probably did it he's an alien <laughs> he has special powers he can't die apparently if i if i were that i would first of all travel as we've established and also kill yeah. people because i can get away with it <laughs> yeah um yeah. so, so well, I, I mean, what I would do is just not get on his bad side because it's clear, you know, oh, it's gonna, yeah. he might fuck some shit up. Um, he might yeah. off you, yeah. And then I'd, uh, I guess I'd help him cover it up. Mm, I'm a, wow, very loyal. I'm a, I'm a diva movie star actress. I can't, I can't like risk my career. I, it's more about your reputation rather than his yeah. safety. Got it. Very yeah, diva Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we can become a a crime couple. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Exactly. Alien Korean and actress. Slash yes. aliens. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fun. Okay. Fun times ahead. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last, last question. Let's say you're the diva actress Sungi again. Okay. Your alien boyfriend, Minjun, says he's being called back to his planet. All right? Mm. Like, you guys have been dating. Mm. And now he's like, mm. oh, my planet is calling me. So I need to, I'm going to just disappear like that. When they call me, they just, I vanish. And I'm, I'm there. Okay. You know, it's like teleports okay. over there. Okay? He doesn't know when he will be returning to Earth to see her mm-hmm. again. But he promises that he will. Right? He says that mm-hmm. that's how it's going to always be throughout the rest of your relationship. While you guys are just hanging out together, just like watching TV or like getting chicken, whatever, he'll just suddenly like vanish because he gets called back to his planet and he'll just vanish. And, and there's no telling when he's going to be back. That's going to be a relationship. Mm. What do you do? 
Perfect. I love it. This is the best really? relationship I've ever had was with a guy who was only who was only in town like every two weekends. and it was perfect it was ideal i love it um yeah you get to do i get to like sleep alone in my bed without somebody who's hot and snoring next to me and then you know once every once every blue moon um you know they show up and we have a good time and then they fuck off again i love it perfect yeah why is why are they why are they calling him back uh on his planet the reason why he was, I, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's an arbitrary reason, I'm sure. But, like, mm. he was in, in Korea for, like, 400 years because, like, there was a mission there. And, you know, mm-hmm. I guess his mission was achieved. I have no idea what the fuck his mission was. I don't think yeah, it's ever explained. Um, it's, not like, it's not like Korea is, like, um, suddenly, you know, without problems. He didn't seem to do anything didn't. that important. <laughs> didn't solve anything all the wars and occupations they all happened yeah. you know yeah it's uh none of it was stopped i have no idea why and um yeah yeah hmm. it's a it's a bonkers it's funny though i think it's a genuinely hilarious show it's very camp it's fucking ridiculous mm. and the actress mm. like chun ji she's so funny like she is yeah She's so like as a person, as an actress, she's so gorgeous. She looks so elegant, and like she's to model. You know, she's like considered one of the hottest, you know, actors mm. in Korea. But she's so comically, like bizarre in this show, and it's fucking entertaining. And um, yeah, I I got that a kick fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of an old it... show. It's like eight years old now. Okay, how many seasons are there? There's just one. Most most okay. Korean shows, there's just okay. one season. I think like 16 uh, episodes or 20. I don't know. but That sounds achievable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you ever want to watch something fucking camp, this this is a good one. Okay. Mm, yeah. That does it for the flashcard cool. questions. Thank you, Tobias. Thank you. Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. <laughs> theater uh for the tomorrow show with ron lynch on august 5th that's a friday the show starts at midnight so it's technically saturday but it is friday night so yeah please find me there for the tomorrow show which is one of the longest running comedy variety shows um in la it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a fun time so please stop by it should be great Today, I'm going to be talking about the show My Love from the Star, which stars some huge actors. Chun Ji-hyun, okay? Mega Hollywood actress. Also, Kim Soo-hyun, right? This is a fantasy rom-com K-drama. It is written by writer Park Ji-eun. And Park Ji-eun is well known for several very big hits. She is perhaps 
most well known for her most recent show, Crash Landing on You, starring Hyun Bin and Son Ye Jin, right? She also wrote The Legend of the Blue Sea, which sort of came after My Love from the Star, also starring uh, Chun Ji Yan. She also wrote The Producers, which stars Kim Su Hyun, Cha Tae Yeon, and IU. I really love My Love from the Star because not only is it camp and humor driven, but uh, Chun Ji Yeon's performance as a comedic actress is really remarkable. But she's also very grounded, like emotionally, I could tell, right? So Chun Ji Yeon is a really great performer. Right after uh, My Love from the Star was a big hit, like a year later, Goblin became a huge hit. So yeah, Korean drama is sort of melding like the historical drama, um, time travel element, or reincarnation elements, sort of fusing these these worlds with the fantasy thing. It's definitely been a trend. And I think they're still trying to do it, but um, to less of a success, I feel like, because they definitely tried it with the king, Eternal Monarch, and it just failed miserably. Today, I'll be talking to actor Steve Park. He is a Korean-American actor. He is uh, kind of a veteran Korean-American actor, I would say. He's a big figure in the Asian-American community for sure. He was in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing in 1989. He was also in A Serious Man, uh, directed by the Coen brothers. He was also in Fargo, directed by the Coen brothers. When I was watching The French Dispatch in theaters, uh, the latest Wes Anderson movie, I was pleasantly surprised to find Steve Park in that film because his role isn't uh, comedic per se, even though I would say Steve Park always brings some comedic commitment to all of his performances. Um, but yeah, he plays a very different kind of character in that film. And he is collaborating with Wes Anderson again in Asteroid City, which is currently in post-production. It should be out either, I believe next year or the year after. In any case, he and Wes Anderson um, have been collaborating increasingly. So um, yeah, I really admire Steve Park's work as an actor. He was also in In Living Color and you know he has this whole like history working in stand-up comedy, but also sketch comedy. He is a remarkable performer. This was such a pleasure and it was such an honor. What a treat. Let's talk to Steve Park. How are you? I'm good. Oh, we're going to re record right away. All right. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Great. Thanks for doing this. Sure. Appreciate How are it. you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Doing very good. Okay. Um, I was like, I mean, I've always been a fan of your work. I mean, you're kind of a, a, a hero figure to a lot of Korean Americans. I'm sure you're oh, wow. aware you. of this, but, um, yeah, I was like, wait, he lived in upstate New York, which is so funny because yeah, yeah. I, I lived in uh, Rockland County, New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah my parents have a place in Airmont. Do you know Airmont? Oh, Suffer, no. Suffer. Oh, Suffer. Yeah, Suffer, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think Suffer wow. and Airmont are interchangeable. I don't know. Oh, but they're in the same, yeah, they're the same place. How did your parents end up there? Well, they actually are moving there. They have a, a separate place there. Uh -huh. um, and we're, we're in the process, my sister and I, in the process of moving them from their home, uh -huh. which I grew up in, up uh -huh. in Vestal, New York, by Binghamton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's time to uh, 
that we're, we're doing the big transition, the big parental, you know, trying to get them closer to where we are. I'm up mm-hmm. in the Hudson Valley. My sister mm-hmm. is in uh, Westchester. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're in that process now. <laughs> how did how did your parents end up in upstate New York, though? Well, my dad was a, a doctor. He um, he first landed in Brooklyn and oh. um I, that's where I was born in Clinton Hill. And then um, when I was about eight, we moved to Manhattan and lived across from Sloan Kettering, where my father was doing cancer surgery and he was doing a residency there. Right. But the city was not, he was never a city person. So he wanted mm-hmm. to go up, you know, more into the country. Um, so the first place we landed was called Waverly, New York, which mm-hmm. is right next to Sarah, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then we lived there for a couple of years and then landed in um, Vestal which is big wow. and, and then, <clears throat> yeah, and then that's where they've been. And wow. it's just small, you know, he had his own practice. He had, he became, you know, was a general surgeon. And uh, that was more his, you know, he's a fly fisherman. He's, you know, likes to got do it. quiet things. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, I think like uh, Koreans um, have this like agrarian, like nostalgic sort of heart. Like my parents, mm. Um, also like garden a lot because both of them mm. come from like farmer backgrounds so mm-hmm. gardening yeah. all right. of that yeah no my mm-hmm. both my mother loves to garden yeah yeah Very much it's so. like it's just like in their it's in their hands in their bones like they can't yeah. not do it you know right they, they right. sort of have it all the time interesting so your father was a doctor yeah. fascinating is yeah. your sister also in entertainment or is she like just no she's music? a business she's in business a business right person on. Yeah. Right on. Fascinating. At one point, she was uh, president of Levi's in Korea. Oh, wow. Yeah. So at the time, that was kind of a big deal. Yeah. She was like a minor celebrity there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's cool. Did you ever um, work in Korea? No. I've been to Korea a couple of times. Last time was in the 90s before oh. cell phones. and wow. then. Before that was in the 70s when I was a teenager. Oh, my gosh. So my experience with Korea is so limited. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have any desire to work? Oh, in yeah. Korea? I was actually um, um, possibly going to work on a Korean movie, my first Korean movie in Korea. And then that fell apart uh, because mm-hmm. one of the uh, actors got cancer. Oh, my and gosh. And so they had to. Um, so anyway, everything kind of fell apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if the intention is there, I'm sure another opportunity like that will come to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to say, by the way, that um, you're Dr. Grace Jung, like you're like this kind of Korean, uh, like the ideal uh, daughter in terms of your, you know, like you're pursuing, like mm-hmm. I've, I admire that your pursuit of your dream, what you want to do, but also, yeah. you know, you are educated up the wazoo. So that's all good. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, you would think, right? But, you know, like Korean parents are this, um, they're an infinite abyss of uh, dissatisfaction, I feel like, you know, like I I never, like they, I'm working on a book right now based on my podcast called K-Drama School. And I found myself writing about the time when I told them, like, I was going to college, I was at Hunter College at the time, and then I was going to transfer to Pace and going from public school to a private school, like the tuition difference is like drastic. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you need to justify why you need to transfer. And I was like, well, you know, public school just doesn't give you the 
proper attention this private institution does and they're like what did you want what do you want to study and i was like i want to study philosophy and they found it to be hilarious like they were laughing hysterically and they're like right. what are you going to what are you going to do with a philosophy degree? What you're, you're going to be a philosopher. And I was like, I mean, why not? You know? And also maybe, maybe law, like a lot of people go to law school and they were hysterically laughing again. Like hmm. my parents seem to know me in a way, like not know me, but know me very well because hmm. I, I tried to study for the LSAT and the LSAT just kind of changes your way of thinking. Like it has mm. its own logic. And I was oh, like, really? I, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, it changed mm. like, cause LSAT is known for having multiple choices, but all of these answers could potentially be an answer, mm. but there can only be one answer. That's yeah. what law does, right? It changes right. your way of thinking. And I was like, I can't do this, you know? So in a way they <clears throat> knew me, but they also, they didn't have high expectations of me as you would think, like, I think, Korean parents are known for having extremely high expectations of their children, no matter what, you know, no matter what the yeah. child is willing to do. Um, and uh, with them, it, it just that, yeah, that pressure wasn't there really, honestly, if, I, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. Well, you must have been pressuring yourself because you obviously are very high achieving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it was. It was self pressure. It was self induced yeah. pressure. Yeah. Only and your own internal parent my own internal parent exactly yeah. and um you know in like i don't know I, after i finished my degree i was like i don't think this had served me at all right mm. now i don't really apply my degree at all like it's you don't like think a, this is applying your degree not really right i mean really? yes and no like i think people pay attention to somebody who has a degree you know, they're like, oh, she has a degree. She must know what she's talking about. You know, I think, I think it's like that, you know, um, a university that is like prestigious, right? It's like, oh, they, they're from Yale. They're from MIT. It's like, it's like. What this, was your reason for thing. getting a PhD in um, I was, um, I was working at Kino Lorber, that film distribution company in New York. Mm -hmm. I was working there for a few years, but it was a. Uh, really soul crushing job and i didn't want to work in an office anymore mm -hmm. and i spent like a year just applying to schools and you know i just i wanted to get a break like just not work that's why mm -hmm. i went to school mm -hmm. for me studying and writing a paper publishing a paper going to conferences all of that came super easy to me yeah. because work was like a nightmare. I was like, as long mm -hmm. as I'm not doing that, mm -hmm. this is no problem. Mm -hmm. It's studying, being an academic is not difficult at all. In fact, it's very similar in a lot of ways to like Hollywood, you know, like um, you have to please an institution. You have to please yeah. an organization and those yeah. authorities yeah. and the people who are controlling academic institutions and the people who are controlling major Hollywood corporations are identical. They're all the same, you know, and I don't know how I came across your articles published in the nineties. I have no idea how I found myself there, but yeah. there's like a, a web archive with uh, publications um, based on certain themes. And I just found them very randomly wow. and yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're they're there. They're archived and they're there. Under and, what's the umbrella? What's the uh, website? 
it's like i'll send it to you it's like web.archive it's some it's some broad archival database of not part of a university or anything no <clears throat> it's a public it's a public archive oh, wow. and um i was like this is a really i don't know who did it but it's a it's a great archive and i i was just reading two of your articles published in it one was published in 94 the other other was published in 97 and the one that was published 97 where you talk about struggling for dignity and your mission statement for hollywood right and some of the things that you say in there like how uh there's a rise in hate crimes against asian americans in america and it's a racially divided nation i mean you wrote this in 1997 yeah, and yeah. it resonated so hardcore with present day now you know like especially last year like last year when all these hate crimes especially against asian american elderly were happening like what were you what was going through your mind oh yeah i i just i still have a hard time fathoming the the desire to um attack the most vulnerable the oldest people like that is so disturbing to me that whatever that human impulse is, um, like the, the the one the most shocking video was the one in Midtown of the old woman and the two the two doormen just closing the door. That blew my mind. That human beings that were big. They, these were big guys who no. just like stepped away. Mm. Uh, couldn't figure, couldn't understand that mm. behavior. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was really shocking. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the mission statement was really—it's um, like the eternal call of uh, wake up, wake, mm-hmm. wake. It's just a wake up call, like wake up to uh, all of the um, delusions. You know, it's—it's it's like I don't know if you know anything uh, Buddhism, like terminology, mm-hmm. but samsara. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all samsara. It's all delusion. People are just operating under so many delusions and identification yes. with the separate self. And uh-huh. and uh, it's now like gotten to such a degree where it's like um, our culture is having a nervous breakdown. Like that's what it feels like. Were you raised Buddhist? No, I was, uh, you know, we went to a Presbyterian church when I was young, Korean Presbyterian. Um, mm-hmm. And then when we moved... Um, my best friend when we moved to Waverly, actually, his dad was a Presbyterian minister, so we went mm-hmm. there for a little bit. But then, you know, my parents were not very religious. My father was not keen on a lot of like um, Christian proselytizing. He had yeah. a strong aversion to that, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was more for like a that, community thing for your parents. And yeah, your- pretty much. And then it didn't wasn't you know, and my interest, my own spiritual journey started <clears throat> pretty uh you know when i i was started karate i started learning karate from a japanese master in mm. who had a, a dojo in in vessel mm. and he introduced me to zen buddhism mm. and that was the beginning of my whole search and then around college i had uh this breakdown my body like i was under so much i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life and <clears throat> it all manifested yeah. in my body and i had this arthritic condition that pretty much paralyzed me and I was in the hospital for a little while, but that kind of deepened my whole, um, like spiritual search and, 
Yeah. Uh, so I've done a lot of, a lot of exploration, a lot of, you know, I went to, I studied with uh, Don Miguel Ruiz for a little bit who wrote the mm -hmm. four agreements yeah, and traveled book. to Machu Picchu with him. And, oh, wow. you know, I've done meditation retreats, did the 10 day Vipassana retreats. So that's when my meditation really got much deeper. And wow. um, yeah, and I've just been very much, uh, you know, like a fascinated by, um, any kind of spiritual teaching or spiritual teachers. Like I'm always like, Oh, what's this person saying? And if it resonates mm -hmm. with me or not, you know, so yeah, you know, things around non-duality and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on forever about this. But. When you were, when you were in the hospital and you were in this pain and this sort of like, uh, immobile state, like what was sort of like the the cracking open period for you like realization wise or enlightenment wise that was starting to help you regain control of your body um well was like it, it was a, it was much more of a, it wasn't like a one kind of instant but i'll tell you that school was a huge going to college like i had a kind of an opposite uh journey than you like i didn't like gravitate to school or I wasn't like a, <clears throat> a really brilliant student or anything, but I went to college to Boston University uh, my first two years, um, kind of unofficially pre-med because mm. I didn't know what to do with my life. So right. I was, you know, mm -hmm. biology, chemistry, I was yeah. failing everything. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also, I was living with uh, in this dorm with the football team dealing with racism Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I'm being in Boston, you know, sure. and, yeah. and uh, um, that's when the arthritis started happening. And then uh, wow. I was on academic probation, transferred to SUNY Binghamton, which was right next to where I live. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Somehow got into that school. Yeah, it's a great and, school. <laughs> uh, it is a great school. But I, again, I was like starting with a full load of classes and then I ended right. up with one. So I would be like full time. And then by mid September, I would have to drop classes because I was failing them. And. So it was the demand. It was this high demand. This well, it was like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like the, it was the idea that I was supposed to go to college. I was always supposed to go to college, yes. even though I had no idea yes. why, what, what I was doing. And, yes. Um, yes. and my girlfriend at the time, uh, cause I was going to drop out. And she said, before you drop out, just take one uh, semester of classes. And the only criteria is just that they're fun, which yeah. was such an alien concept to me. Yeah. So I signed up for an acting class. I signed up for yeah. a mind class, a body <gasps> movement and a voice Amazing. class. Amazing. And that was all like, it, it didn't feel like I was in school. And yeah. Um, and then I ended up getting my degree in theater. And then yeah. I, right after I graduated, it took me two extra years to get a degree. And then the first thing I did after I graduated was I went to New York City and then I started doing stand up. Yeah, wait, where I started. that is wild to me that you went from like theater to stand up. What was yeah. that? Why, why stand up? What, what was that uh, choice? Well, because I had this identity as a class clown. I was a class Got clown. Got it. And I was making like super eight movies as a kid and I was a very kind of performative and I liked things that were funny. You know, I liked Got comedians. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. So I was very much identified with that. And I thought that that to me at the time made the most sense to begin my career. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about um, all the kind of performers that I admired. A lot of them were doing stand up, And yeah. so I, I just felt like I could do it. Mm. And uh, I did yeah. have this 
act that I was, you know, doing open mic nights and mm -hmm. uh, it was all kind of like playing off of uh, Asian stereotypes. And sure. I did this whole bit on Bruce Lee. I had a boom box and I was doing, I, I can't, I don't remember it like specifically my act, but yeah, it was enough that it got me on like that got me on a living color. Yeah. Um, mm. In addition to like, because the first the first callback to for that for in living color was at the Laugh Factory, oh, which wow. kind of like took me by surprise. Yeah, and there was about twenty of us, including Margaret Cho and oh wow, um, a bunch of other people. And then mm. like then the second callback was again at the the um, Laugh Factory, and I just remember it's like I need more material. And I was just writing like just mm. everything that came to me, and anyway, that's kind mm. of what led me to um, in living color. And I could have had, you know, being on a living color, I could have had this amazing stand-up yeah. thing happening. But I, I read I about it, do, yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't do it. I, I just didn't, it wasn't, because ultimately I, I realized, like, this is not my, it's not my um, genre. It's not my, it's not, mm. I can't get on stage and go, hey, like, I've seen your stuff and you're fantastic and you're very ballsy and you're really very powerful <laughs> on stage. And not that I can't yeah. do that, but it's not, I feel like stand-up comedians have a particular kind of personality. Yeah. Like like Bobby Lee is a good example. Like uh, Bobby oh, yeah. Lee to me is hilarious. Oh yeah. And he's he, he's too twisted to do anything else. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. Like I yeah. can't imagine him or his brother Steve like doing anything. I no. don't know what they're doing. Oh yeah. So and also the lifestyle, you know, uh -huh. like just going to clubs every night and yeah, yeah. Um, I, re I remember reading about that, like, after uh, In Living Color, like, all these clubs were calling your agent, like, asking to book you, and I was like, that is the dream, that is the dream, and yeah. you're like, can't do it, you know? Yeah. It's not me, it's not me. But that's, I think that's how you sort of navigate, it's like, you find what's you as they come mm -hmm. to you, and I, yeah. look at, I look at your filmography, and you've worked with, like, I mean, you're, you're kind of highbrow. You know, even yeah. like even miming, you know, miming is like, I mean, that's clowning. It's mm. a genre of clowning. Clowning is highbrow to me. Oh, yeah. It's no, like, I love clowning. Yeah. Clowning it is, is so highbrow. I took a clown class very recently at LA School of Comedy with David Bridal. It was oh, just David one Bridal. class. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. The British yeah, yeah. guy. So it oh, was British just a. Guy. Yeah, no, he's I'm thinking British. of a different David. I'm thinking of a different oh, David. Oh, okay. He he's uh he's trained with like Golier and like you know he has he's got pedigree European mm. pedigree let's say mm -hmm. and uh, it was like a course called the Tragic Clown at the time mm. I was just dealing with like wall against wall against wall with like everything I've achieved nothing was landing so I just took this workshop is like when you're stuck in absolute tragedy rigidity what are you gonna do figure out a game figure mm. out fun. And it was just like a perfect workshop for me. After I took that workshop, I saw my stand-up act actually evolving. It, mm. it develops a lot of trust, like self-trust in you. But mm. I think that's like your your soul sort of knows like what's yeah. for you. And sure. it strives for highbrow, like highbrow mm. shit. Like, you know, mm. like Spike Lee, you know, like mm. you even worked with Miranda July. I love <laughs> Miranda July, you know. It's like, so funny because I ended up getting cut out of that movie. Uh, really? That's too yeah. bad. Well, it was like you saw, like you saw, you could see my back in one scene, but um, yeah. <sighs> that, but I ended up, the guy who played my son, Ethan, yeah. Ethan Lee, yeah. in that, um, I ended up working with him again. Uh, with Wes Anderson last yes. uh, last fall, so I yes. had to 
that's another thing you're working with yeah. wes anderson like this is your second role with like second time yeah. working with wes anderson right like another yeah. highbrow dude you know like yeah. like pedigree awards like can flavor you know like that's sort of your yeah. thing but you know you come from this like background of comedy and television which is so oh even the cohen like the cohen brothers you know like um but yeah it seems like your soul knows like where you belong you know mm. and uh yeah i was just like yeah your career to me is so unique and interesting mm. it has mm. this um pattern that i don't see elsewhere you know also i think i came came up at a, a time when it's such a different time now than when I started, yeah. you know, in just terms of what the business was like. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know if I was going to have a career. I didn't know what was going to happen. Sure. Um, and the few Asian, I knew every Asian American actor in the country, really. I mean, yeah. I lived on, so I knew everybody, we all knew right. each other. Right. We were a very small community of people For sure. and it was more competitive in this weird way, you know, because mm -hmm. there was always like, if you're going to be the Asian on the show, there can only, you know, like that mentality. So yeah. that was the, that was the, uh, the culture at the time uh, among Asian American yeah. actors. How do you, how do you navigate something like that though? This uh, mentality of lack, like, okay, for instance, um, in the 1994 article that you published, you talk about how you were, um, you were not brought back for the second, for the next season of In Living Color. Basically, you were fired. And then the press said, oh, that, you know, Steve Park is going to go on to do movies now. That's going to be his focus. But really, it was because of uh, Sundaju's probation sentence, and that offended the showrunner, and you were the only Korean-American. Is that what this article says? Yeah, you were kind of saying Did like, I write this? It, I think so. I don't think I came to that conclusion. I, it's not like I'm coming to any conclusion. Oh, no, not... no, no. It was more like how you were feeling. It was projections mm -hmm. of how you were feeling. Like yeah. uh, this Sundaju probation was announced and then the showrunner was like, like really disturbed by it. But you felt like everybody was looking at you in that room. Well, let me just yeah. kind of my memory of it uh, yeah, was yeah. we were in rehearsal and Keenan yeah. Yeah, came in. And I think that was when um, uh, Sunja Du shot Latasha Harland. I think that was the news at the time. It wasn't. Oh, okay. I don't remember it being about her. What was it? What, what was the verdict? The, you said? It was, she got a was, probation sentence a probation, rather than right, going to prison or yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe my memory is off. But yeah, yeah. it was this kind of feeling like David put his hand on my, you know, my back yeah. or whatever. So it was like. Yeah this weird, uncomfortable feeling. Right, and, right. Um, when I wasn't asked back, it was after the, the LA, you know, uprising. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, at that time, my thinking is like, if I was Keenan, I would want me to be on the show at this time, because yes. that's how my mind thinks. Right. But um, I found that, and I found this with Spike, like among, you know, black celebrities who, who are in positions of power, they didn't, they weren't feeling solidarity with the Asian American community at that point. You know, there was no feeling yeah. of like, we're going to lift them up, even yeah. though I got cast on the show, which was wonderful, you know, yeah, so, yeah. but I'm grateful to all of them, but I just feel like their consciousness was not aligned with where, where I felt like was kind of the, yeah. you know, you're talking about highbrow. It's like, what yeah. is the, um, the higher vibration, the highest, yeah. The highest vibration. What is the high road here? 
and who's going to walk it, you know? But I think, you know, there is this sort of reaction to like what white media does. Oftentimes it pits races against one another through the white narrative that was going on a lot during the racial uprisings during the early nineties. And after the Sundaju probation, after, after I read this article, I was just thinking like, wait, how come he gets like Steve Park, like a Korean American gets fired because of some other Korean American woman. And they don't know each other. They're not related it's just they just so happen to be Korean American. That that happens, but think of all the white officers who got off, you know, from sentences or prison sentences, whatever, for murder, for murder of black and brown bodies. But no white person ever gets fired from a TV show or a movie set. Like nobody bats an eye about that. And this is sort of like in in continuation or, or tied to this notion of the lack like the lack of, you know, there's only one role for this Asian character. There's only one role for this Asian person, right? That lack mentality. Like, how do you navigate having this, this sort of lack, sort of this one space that's created by white Hollywood mm -hmm. and there are multiple Asian Americans competing for that role, right? Like, how do you navigate that or compromise that with this, wanting or this desire of solidarity or alliance with your fellow Asian Americans. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Well, you know, I mean, I was part of Pan-Asian. That was kind of where I started in terms of my acting career. Yeah. And uh, that was my first experience having Asian American friends. Mm -hmm. So that was a big awakening for me just being around them. But, yeah. you know, among especially the Asian American men, most right. of them that I knew had a big chip on their shoulder, of course, you know, most of them had something yeah. to prove. And yeah. so there was a lot of that going on. I think that was, um, uh, <laughs> you know, just trying to prove yourself as this Asian uh, actor, trying to, um, you know, fight against this uh, emasculating uh, um, convert, you know, dialogue of the culture, yeah. you know, that's constantly yeah. being put out there. So there yeah. was a lot of that kind of, over um, reactionary kind of uh, feeling among especially Asian American men, sure, sure, um, or actors at the time. So yeah, yeah, it was you know, it's it's, uh, and and there wasn't um, a Asian black solidarity in that regard either. You know, so yeah, um, but I don't want to say that that was the reason. It's always been a big question because actually when I met my wife, Kelly, who mm -hmm. was on the show, yeah. uh, I, I met her again, like doing a play together. And then soon after that, we got married. And um, But when I, when I saw her again, that was my first interaction after um, In Living Color that mm -hmm. I had with anybody associated with that show. So there was mm -hmm. this kind of big downloading that we did and she mm. told me that when they came back the next season, everybody was yeah. like, where's Steve? And yeah. Keenan said that my manager at the time was playing hardball. And because he was really fighting a lot with the Fox network at the time, uh -huh. and it was kind of the beginning of the end of the, of the show that uh -huh. he it was kind of his attitude is like, you know, fuck it. Like it didn't matter. So oh, that was, trouble. that was what Kelly told me. And she was right. like, well, why would Keenan lie about that? Yeah. And also all the things that the press put out is just publicity. That's what the, oh, he's gone off to pursue an acting career. You know, yeah, all yeah. of that is not, nothing I said. It's just stuff that they put out there. Sure. You know, it's not, it's not based on anything except yeah, yeah. protecting, protecting whatever they're trying to 
protect. Right, right. But right. Um, um, you know, like they they put out there that I was pursuing other things. Uh-huh. What what the producer told me when she called me yeah. was that they were looking for a performer who had more of a stable of characters. You know, somebody who like could do a bunch of like that's what they told me. So all of it was just like, you know, nobody's going to go because you're Korean. That we're not, you know, not that. And I'm not saying that that's the truth. Right. I'm just saying, right. you know, that was the, I, I was left with this unresolved feeling for all of these years until I saw, until I met Kelly again. Right. And then we got to talk all of that out. And now I was able to let it go because yeah. it doesn't matter at that point what exactly. happened. I just yeah. let it go. But right. I was able to let that experience put that experience behind me but it took me that really screwed me up for a while yeah i'm sure because i mean like actors already have such a tough job you know it's like they got to please somebody so they could get the job you know yeah and And, you're also like in my position i was always feeling like i was carrying the weight of the race you know like everything i did was being like hyper and so i was criticized quite often you know i'm sure i'm sure you know you can't satisfy you know, everybody, right? But it's like, but like, that was one of the lofty, ambitious goals you had at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, your heart was in the right place, you wanted to do right by everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. yourself, your people, the industry, right? But oftentimes, like what they want contradicts or conflicts with with these other parties, and you're stuck in the middle of it. And um, I I sensed a lot of anguish and pain in that article. Genuinely, it was coming through. And um, yeah, also, like, you know, being Asian American, being a Korean American man in Hollywood, you know, like, my whole entire master's and doctoral degree was dedicated to Asian masculinity. That's what I was writing about. And yeah, Mm. it's like, it's, it's it's incessant it's incessant the one big change that's happening though and it's happening through uh k dramas and k-pop to some extent is um korean masculinity is highly fetishized today Mm. extremely fetishized like off the wall there's like um there's a another scholar who wrote like about hostels in seoul where like white Americans or Canadian girls, like young women in their Mm. 20s, will Mm. come, will go to Korea to like as sex tourists, basically, Mm. to because they watch so many K dramas and watch so many K pop videos. They're like in love with these Korean men, fantasies, really projected fantasies. You know, I mean, they're not like that. (laughs) They go to Korea and think that they're going to find this Korean man who is just like K dramas. And they're, of course, they're nothing like that. Right. But yeah, it's like, the industry is 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 creating another constructing another masculinity uh, asian masculinity through korean right. entertainment that's happening that's really fascinating but yeah. um yeah it's like it, it's it's really uh, uh it's an endless cycle of pain i feel like you know when you were talking about um in the 97 article about a veteran actor james hong on the set of friends and how a first ad like was like oh where's that guy like the oriental guy you know and how you felt like you were the only person who heard this and noted this and everybody else was sort of like going about their work their job business as usual but you know this was like this painful note that you made in your memory like i'm sure you've encountered numerous instances like this throughout your career um 
and I have as well. Like, I mean, I, I had a, you know, career, a film career in New York, but when I moved to LA and I was going back to school, I decided to intern for Comedy Bang Bang, um, yeah. TV show. And uh, the first AD, no, the second second AD had us on the walkie talkie channel. And he was saying like anti-Asian racial like sounds like, like Ching Chong, this and that. He was like saying that. And I was the only Asian American intern on set so it was mm. i knew it was directed at me right mm. but it's like i feel like all apis in hollywood have stories like this right mm -hmm. if and when something like that happens right and you're talking about like dignity in this article what what is a person supposed to do you know in the face of that kind of behavior well are you talking about now or back then because i think the, I guess... the landscape is completely different now I guess now, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess now, like what, what, what should be protocol really? Uh, to basically speak up. I mean, to, to, um, you know, I mean, now it's kind of gone in the other direction, you know, um, in terms of like, you know, pronouns and, um, like I, I know people, my a friend of mine who teaches at USC, um, it's become kind of a minefield now for, especially for the, the teachers and, uh, you know, now it's like, they feel like they can't, they have to be very careful about what they, what they say. And you have to catch up with where everybody is in terms of, you know, using the right language and, and being sure. aware of all the different oppressions and my, microaggressions and all of this stuff, which yeah. is not part of our lexicon, I don't know, 20, you know, with 10 years uh -huh. ago. So uh -huh. this is, this is all new. So, now this is kind of like the extreme backlash to your question. Like now yeah. nobody's yeah. putting up with anything. Everybody's yeah. like, no, don't say that. You know, you can't say whatever, whatever it is. Right. Now um, it, it's gone to that extreme where, where uh, now people um, are being much more careful about what they're saying. And, and also the acknowledgement of people of color, you know, like um, now you're seeing people of color being hired <laughs> Uh, in front and behind the camera everywhere. I've always mm -hmm. like, it always struck me every time I went to an audition in a, any studio, yeah. like you go inside the office space, everybody was white. And yeah. I don't know why, like it, it always stuck out to me, but it, but it was like the norm. So it seems like, okay, everybody seems okay with this, but it always stuck out to me that, that every set is, is, is predominantly white. And only now is that beginning to change. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely it took huge amounts of tragedy for, for mm -hmm. us to start to go, okay, this is not something's we're yeah. all, we're all practicing white supremacy here. And we're not calling it that we're not doing that, but I mean, we're not, we're not acknowledging it, but that's what we're practicing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you're like, to my question, your response is, well, I mean, now it's like, there's, over policing this PC over policing of cancel culture that is definitely I think I find that problematic too because you know it's like that also is in a way a practice of white supremacy in a way you know like you can't like it's like point like I, I don't know if they say this in Buddhism but if you point one finger you know you're gonna have three fingers pointed back at you kind of thing you know it's like you can't expect a different result by doing the same thing what whatever oppressive thing abuse that white supremacy has done if you try to do that back you know oftentimes like lashing out 
you know, calling racism in a very aggressive or hostile way, right? Um, that is, is, is similarly violent, even though it's standing on a righteous sort of stance, if it's in a, enacted in a violent way that, I don't know, like destabilizes the person, then it's not effective, right? Well, I think also these are phases we're going through culturally. Like, I don't yeah. think we're, mm -hmm. this is a forever thing. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think true. it's a necessary kind of phase that we're going through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, like an anger response is almost natural to yeah. some extent. Right. And it's like, what comes yeah. after that? You know, how do we deal with that? No, it's like, you know, with anger, it's almost like it's this, uh, it's an eternally hungry beast, you know? The more you feed mm -hmm. anger, there's mm -hmm. really no end to it, right? Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. for sure. No, I guess, so then my question is, like, how do we sort of navigate that? Like, you know, you can acknowledge your anger and your pain. You don't want to be on the too far extreme of things and, you know, like, be brutal in terms of your calling out. Like, where's, I mean, how do we toe this fine line like this balanced sort of existence. well um you know going back to my own um spiritual journey yeah. um you know like one of the the, the four agreements in don miguel's book uh, yeah. is uh don't take anything personally uh -huh. um be impeccable with your word is uh, mm -hmm. another agreement mm -hmm. um but this idea of not taking anything personally mm -hmm. is a huge agreement. Mm -hmm. And if you take that agreement to heart and practice mm -hmm. not taking anything personally, it's hugely yeah. liberating. Yeah. Um, because nothing anybody does is personal unless mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. are completely absorbed and identified with your ego. Mm -hmm. So um, to me, the the answer to your question or the, the way forward is about waking up to the, who we really are, to who mm. you really are, to the truth mm. of the true self. And yeah. the true self is like one of the things in the Toltec philosophy, Don Miguel's tradition uh -huh. is that we as a species, you know, we're all dreaming. Yeah. The mind is dreaming all the time. Uh -huh. yeah. And we collectively are dreaming the, the dream of the, the planet, the dream of mm -hmm. the world. So we're collectively dreaming this, but um, part of the the practice of you could say the Toltec warrior is uh, like like um, somebody who's following a Buddhist teachings or even the teachings of Christ is about waking up to mm -hmm. the divinity that exists not only within you but everywhere yeah. and everything yeah. and everybody. And yeah. so if you if you realize that in yourself, if you see it in yourself. Yeah then you're right. going to see it everywhere, but you sure. need to recognize it in yourself first. That first of all, that there is no separate self. This idea of a separate self exists only in the imagination. When you see through the separate self, the illusory egoic self, mm -hmm. then you see yourself in everyone. Mm -hmm. Then you see that um, the world is just uh, an effect and the effect of the cause of how you're, the, the world is not going this way. The world is going this way. Like we yeah. are constantly creating the world in our mind and um, living in the world that we're projecting because yeah. nothing actually has any inherent meaning. All the meaning is coming from us. Yeah. So I think depending on your state of consciousness, you can have a very different experience walking into 
two, two people could be walking into the same situation. One person is full of anger and delusion and one mm -hmm. person is awake. They're going to have very mm -hmm. different experiences walking into the same situation. Somebody might deal with some racist comment or something and that'll trigger them. And like, it's almost like they were expecting it. And another yeah. person is like, you know, is not seeing themselves as separate from anything, you know, yeah. and then everybody feels that on a, on a, if not a conscious, on an unconscious level, everybody feels your vibration, your lightness, your awakeness and responds accordingly. You know, so yeah. by you being awake, you wake everybody around you. You know, you, you have an awakening kind of energy and you mm -hmm. facilitate everybody's awakening in your life, in your world. If you mm -hmm. are able to truly operate from a place of wakeful, uh, of awakeness. Yeah. You know, you're using the term waking, wakefulness. And right now in this realm of policing PC culture, they're using the term woke or woke culture. And I don't think they realize how they're misapplying this concept so mm -hmm. radically. And then also that term has been kind of tarnished too, right? I mean, yeah. that, word, that word has been completely like mangled yeah. and now it has different meanings and the right uses it against the left. And, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, like in, in, in any which way, like God concept, you know, divinity concept has been mangled for many people, right? Yeah. Although the intention was like originally something else, you know, yeah. like people were yeah. trying to use this God and divinity concept to free people, but it was used also to oppress a lot of countries sure. and create wars and cause uh, individual spiritual abuse and whatnot, right? This, it goes on endlessly, but really it's like trying to, I guess, I, I think it needs to stem from one I mean, you were talking about like this law of attraction thing, kind of like if somebody says something racist and it triggers your anger, then it's like you were kind of expecting it, right? That's a law of attraction thing. It's like um, you have to be wanting peace. You know, one must be wanting peace and one must always be wanting healing, peace and good things. They have to be in that state first off if they want, I don't know, joy and peace in life. Well, I would tweak, I would tweak that. I wouldn't say they would yeah, yeah. want it. Yeah, they yeah, would yeah. be it. They would be uh, peace. Yeah. There's a difference between wanting peace and being peace. That's wanting true. peace is not peace. Right. Wanting peace, you're still in a in a place of grasping after something that you believe is not here. There is some effort being, in there. Yeah. 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 Being peace is you're being peace. And mm. so you emanate peace. You recognize yeah, yeah, peace yeah. is here. So it's, it's not aspirational. It's here. Mm. Again, it's like recognition, sort of like yeah. coming it's to always, like It's always here. Everything is always here. Yeah. The illusion is when when you're in a uh, when your consciousness is in a perception of lack, then you feel like yeah. you know you craving, craving, craving. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you wake up and recognize past and future are just mental concepts, all that mm -hmm. really exists is now, and everything is always here. Everything yeah. is always here. There's not, there's nowhere else it could be. It's here. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're awake to the real, to the truth of, of, of reality, which is everything is here, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, you know, however you want to phrase it or look at it, then there is no more. That's the, that's when you're released from uh, the ignorance of grasping after something that you believe is yeah. not here. Yeah. You know, part of the reason why I had to distance myself, um, 
somewhat from academia is uh, because of the way that we were training students, um, like how to write a paper, for instance, we tell them, you have to come up with an argument. That's the first thing we tell them. That's how you write a paper. You have to write an argument. What is your argument? The second thing is, what are your stakes? Meaning, why should anybody give a shit about your article? Create some panic, you know? What's the issue here? What's the bigger issue here? They'll be like, oh, feminism, racism, you know? Mm. You know, indigenous people's rights, whatever, you know? Mm. It's like, we're training students to become all worked up. They're already dealing with fear and paranoia, like how you were in college. I mean, that's the period when the most mental breakdowns happen between age 18 and 25. That's mm -hmm. statistically true. Between mm -hmm. age 18 and 25, you have the most mental breakdowns in America. Mm -hmm. And you send those frightened students who have no idea what they want from life, but it's like the pressure's there. You gotta know what you wanna be right now. And they send them to this expensive school, parents screaming at them, you better make it worthwhile. Don't waste our money. Don't waste your money. You took out $200,000 in loans. You're going to this expensive school. You better make it worthwhile. Terrified students. Right. Mm -hmm. Teaching them how to make arguments, how to have stakes. And then where are they going to take all that anger? They take it to Twitter and then they take it to professors. You misgendered me. You offended me racially. You did this. You did that. Right. Mm -hmm. What we also need to realize is a lot of these professors are adjunct professors. They don't get paid jack shit. Mm -hmm. The first adjunct to, um, like uh, my contract I received, it was $1,300 a month to teach mm. a whole entire course. Wow. That's not a livable wage at mm. all, right? So adjunct professors are just as terrified living in fear and injustice and suffering as the students. That's the cycle that academia is sort of stuck in right now, this vortex. And it's like, I mean, if we try to offer them word on divinity that's also not going to work why because in college that's where students learn how to tear down religion you know so i don't know I, I feel like um there's really no answer to this but the one thing that i am trying to come to is like i don't know like i feel like in art there is some freedom right like you know you chose theater, movement, physical expression, you know, like a lot of uh, Asian parents think like education is the only way, like books are the only way. I'm a good example of education not having worked out at all, at all, right? Um, there's like a, I was watching wait, this Wait, thing. How, how is that? How are you an example of that? Like I, I have a PhD, but you know, I have nothing to show for it. Like I don't have a job in academia for it, you know, like there, is that, there are no- is that what, Was that the- the desired outcome is to have a job in academia? Is that why you got to, a PhD? To have a tenured professor job is a pretty cushy job. You know, like a tenured professor gets a pretty consistent salary and uh -huh. it's pretty low key. Of course, you have to work a lot. You do have to teach classes. You have to read a lot. You have to present papers and whatnot. But to me, that sort of comes easily. So that would have been a nice cushy job. Ultimately, though, like the deeper me knew that I didn't want that job. Like I, I was mm -hmm. talking to somebody, they're like, if it wasn't for the salary, would you want to be teaching? I was like, hell no, absolutely not. You know? Well, I mean, from where I'm standing, you know, you're, you're doing your stand up. you have this podcast, you're writing a book, you've got yeah, podcast, yeah. you've got all of this yeah. stuff going on. You're, you're just, mm -hmm. 
uh, production machine, it seems like. And it yeah, seems yeah, yeah. all connected to this PhD. I don't know what how you're perceiving it as like a waste, because I do feel like you, you, there's a certain kind of um, passion <laughs> that's driving you forward. And yeah. uh, I don't know, it, it's a little bit um, maybe... You know, to call it a, a, a like a waste or whatever. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not seeing it from where I'm standing. I don't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a waste. No, that's true. Thank you. No, that's a good reminder. It's not a waste, but it's not like typical for a PhD to be pursuing the arts. Usually, they're in an academic or educational institution of some sure. sort. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, in arts, like I feel like we we're applying a lot of these values that we have, but in a, in a somewhat more peaceful way. I mean, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. To the arts? Yeah. I mean, the arts is, um, it took me a long time, I think quite a number of years to feel good about myself being an actor because I had internalized a lot of that, you know, attitudes about the business. And uh, so I, I, I was kind of, struggling with feelings of shame for a while. Hmm. Um, and, uh, for being any an particular, yeah. Like, uh, I, I just remember early on, like just being in the dressing room and like just feeling depressed just cause I felt really? like, yeah. Cause I had this idea, like I, I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't something, uh, my parents were wanting me to be like, so I was comparing where I was to some ideal that, you know, the yeah. whole reason I was in college, you know, so um, uh, it took me a while to to shift my thinking on that and recognize, um, you know, that it's a noble profession and, and that this actually has um, uh, done a lot of good. Uh, yeah. And it took me a while to arrive at that. Yeah, no, I, I really admire what you do. And um and, you know, your sort of repertoire of work, I think it's really, um, like, astounding, honestly. Um, Thank you. One, one uh, last question, and then we can wrap up. But um, I recently had to deal with this not too long ago. Um, I got a voiceover audition call. Somebody found me on Instagram and asked me to do a voiceover audition. And they wanted me to do it in a quote-unquote South Korean accent. And I'm sure this is something you've dealt with time and time again how do you how do you sort of deal with that because for me there was like it's this, this internal conflict slightly you know i was like hmm. do i want to do that you know like yeah well my view is as an actor if if it's true to the character then like i don't have an issue with dialects if it's hmm. meant for the character like this character yeah. is from south korea it makes sense that they would have a dialect i don't have the like i'm not doing dialects i don't have that feeling or idea that mm. dialects somehow are, it, it all depends on, on the character. It's, if it's meant to be funny because you speak with the dialect, then that's different. You know, that's racist. Right. But if it's right. just, if it's an authentic character who's immigrated from Korea, like, yeah, that not that I want to do that. Like I've turned down um, like a, these, uh, you know, Korean market owner, roles you know like that kind of stuff like i'm done doing that like i mm -hmm. don't feel like i need to do that again yeah um, i'm kind of tired of it you know yeah. like although i don't have any judgment about it in itself for me like i feel yeah. like yeah i don't want to do that i want to do something else you know like so that's yeah. just me 
I don't have an attitude about the, the, the role itself, but yeah, like, but you know, doing, um, immigrant dialects when it's called for, um, sure. you know, I mean, I just did a play Asian, it was a Chinese, uh, pl American playwright and mm -hmm. Asian cast, Asian American cast. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we're going in, like, I'm playing, we're playing different roles. So I'm playing, uh, the dad who grows up in China. So I'm speaking with the Chinese dialect and then yeah. I'm in present time. And I think, you know, so it depends on what the project is, what the role is. Um, so dialects themselves, I have no judgment about It's neutral. Yeah. Like, you know. Got it. So context, yeah. seeing the whole. Okay. Yeah. I dig that. Actually, I, as soon as you mentioned green grocer, one other question came up to me. Is it okay if I ask? Yeah. Um, in the, in do the right thing, uh, when the fires are happening and then, you know, you, the, your character has like the mop handle and you're like, you know, don't like, you know, trying to protect your business. Mm. There's this moment when you stick your hand out, yeah. right? And then it just cuts to the next scene, the next yeah. shot. Yeah. None, none of that was in the script. I, I, I came up with all of that on the spot. So that was improvised. Yeah. Okay. Me know, or I know white, I know white. Uh, I black you and me same. I came. That was my. That was what I came up with. So it wasn't in the script. Like the the, the the role was a complete. The, the script was like a skeleton. So oh. I, my character could have been somebody who, if I just said the lines as were as they were, yeah, I would have been somebody that was just this Korean market owner that yeah. was saying, you know, that was just trying to protect the store and saying right. anything to to keep them away. But yeah. my my interpretation of the role is like, no, no, no. Like, I'm politically aware. I understand mm -hmm. that we're both oppressed. You and mm -hmm. me are the same. Like, I'm coming from that place is my role. I'm part Got of this it. community. Like, I made all those decisions as an actor that that's who I was uh, in, in the role. So those yeah. kind of things were not in the script themselves. I love that. I love that. And that's sort of like, you know, sort of revealing to us now, like, you know, your decision to be an actor is like, actually, it's, it's really wise, you know, like, you are politically enacting through mm. your acting. Yeah, you know? I've always tried to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Thanks for that anecdote. I, I really mm. love that. I, um, I, I love that film. And um, yeah, I, I, I think you, the fact that you have comedic training like we're like, like comedic background love for comedy it shows in your mm. performance and all of it because mm. you always commit you commit so mm. hard it's like you don't <laughs> see anything else you just commit to that role and that moment so intensely mm. and that's what comedians do they're great at that they're great yeah. at committing to that moment and yeah. the humor always like comes through you know right. even like that dark role that you play in fargo it's like your character as tragic as he is was hilarious yeah. you know really yeah. <laughs> so um yeah i i love your work thank you so much thank for you. talking with me today thank you it was a pleasure <laughs>